welcome to Blair Slept There. I'm your host, Blair Hopkins. <sighs> Man, it has been a rough couple of months, hasn't it? I feel like an ass complaining because I have ridden out this quarantine so far in my home state. Been farming on my parents' property and hanging out with my grandmother while on furlough from my temporary day job. Basically, just doing all the things I would be doing anywhere when I'm not on the road. I've lost a lot of photo work, with weddings and other events having to cancel, and that is a real bummer, but overall, my immediate routine has not been that heavily impacted by the pandemic, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. Most of my immediate family works in healthcare and other essential industries, and I carry a lot of worry around that, but we are lucky to live in Washington State, where despite having been the first hotspot, people, employers, and politicians have mostly been acting sensibly. The gripe I'll let myself have right now is this. I'm going fucking stir-crazy. I've been in Washington since December, only leaving once for Mardi Gras. It is the longest I've been still in close to five years. And there's no telling when it'll be safe to venture back out, what with half of my landing pad cities either in the grips of the pandemic or about to be due to bad policy. So, fuck. Right? What's a travel podcaster to do? Before the pandemic, I was thinking about how to start introducing the magnanimous private residents with whom I occasionally stay into some of my coverage on this show. I'm on the road out in the wilds a lot, but my landing places are usually major cities, and uh, I learned the hard way that a dirt-cheap motel in the middle of, say, rural West Texas is a very different proposition than one of a comparable price in Chicago. So when I'm in major cities, I tend to stay with friends. Quarantine seems as good a time as any to catch up with some of the folks I've been missing about what's going on in their respective cities and lives. Speaking of Chicago, that's where I learned that lesson, actually. I was late to the game making friends out that way. It's it's a great city. It's just not one where I tend to have a lot of work. On my hurried drives across the northern half of the country, I would always stop in Chicago to grab some pizza, see the skyline, then duck traffic and push through to Fargo before looking for a place to stay. For whatever reason, late start probably, I ended up having to overnight in Chicago in June of 2016 and scored a $50 room with okay reviews in the Melrose Park area. Now, when I say okay reviews, what I mean is this. I look for two things when making compromises on subpar accommodations. Consistency and keywords. I've gotten pretty good at figuring out who the whiny, finicky Yelpers are, and uh, fuck those normies, right? I want to see what's coming up again and again among people who are writing otherwise complimentary or lukewarm reviews. And I look for any reference to bedbugs. If there are no complaints of infestation and the most consistent complaint is, for example, that the staff is rude, it's a go. So I was not dissuaded by reports of drug and sex trade around this establishment. Check-in was seamless. Only memorable because I was on kind of high alert. The young man got me squared away and I headed down the hall, which smelled of ancient cigarette smoke and was bathed in something of a greenish flickering light that made me wonder if a Japanese ghost was going to start towards me in stop motion from the other end. Ahead of me, a tall, skinny person with a limp blonde mullet wearing a denim miniskirt, denim jacket and high heels exited their room and sashayed out of the building. The room itself was large, dingy, and pretty fucking gross, actually. The carpet was heavily stained and there were countless cigarette burns on the bedspread and the table. The door to the room was cut really high, almost two inches, and a mouse dipped in and out from the hall. I named it Mr. Jingles. 
we were doing okay, you know? Plus, 50 bucks and no bed bugs. I realized though, after settling in, that my camera bag was still in the trunk of my car and decided it would be smart to bring it inside. So I got myself together and walked out of my hovel into the murder hall where I noticed for the first time that the room immediately across from mine was closed off with a Cook County Coroner's Office seal. I didn't get much sleep that night. Anyway, since then I have made more connections in the Windy City. One of those connections is Lori Simmons. I met Lori in New Orleans several years ago. I can't remember if it was Mardi Gras or Jazz Fest season. What I do remember is crankily, probably hungoverly, emerging from my room in the back of the shotgun on Maison Street that I shared with my buddy and his wife, trying to source the rambunctious cackling coming from the living room. In my experience, if my first thought about someone is along the lines of, Jesus Christ, that bitch is loud, we're probably going to end up lifelong friends. And as far as Lori is concerned, so far so good. Since the runnin' and gunnin' days, Lori has gone from kind of a shiftless party girl, transitioning out of office life into gig work, to a powerhouse of Chicago labor organizing. Back then, our mutual friends were always encouraging her to get her chops on the comedy stage. She's the kind of person who seems to consider herself on the sidelines, but in actuality, she commands a room without even trying. She is hilarious, but also poignant and caring. She was always too stage shy to get on the open mics, but found her voice when she began volunteering and later working for Chicago Rideshare Advocates. The organization, in their own words, is a labor advocacy group of passionate and experienced Chicago rideshare drivers working to bring transparency, safety, fairness, and regulation to the Windy City. Lori will have plenty to say about the day-to-day workings in the conversation that I am about to air, but for those of you who don't know, Chicagoans have been raising hell for labor rights for almost 150 years. Illinois is widely regarded as the birthplace of the eight-hour workday, and without the blood, sweat, and tears of those who put their lives on the line protesting the horrible working conditions of the 19th century, we probably wouldn't have any of the protections we now take for granted. The Haymarket Riot happened there in 1886, the Heron Massacre, where mine workers straight up executed scabs and mine overseers as part of their protests happened there, and a host of other monumental moments in American labor rights history were born of the area's many difficult, violent struggles. Right now, several American cities are hosting protests by citizens who are sick to literal death of another kind of institutional abuse. The exposure of a seemingly endless stream of murders of black Americans at the hands of police have sparked several riots. And if you're not in the thick of those, especially if you're the kind of person who is sitting at home safely quarantined with your family criticizing the actions of the people in the streets, I would highly suggest you take some of this extra time we've all got on our hands to read up on how you got what you have. I'll post some suggested materials in the show notes. Anyway, I wanted the opportunity to feature my private citizen hosts on the show, and here we are. So, without further ado, here is Lori Simmons. Oh, yeah. See, it's recording now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, this gives me that option. It's probably only if you're willing to pay for it, and I'm completely not, because every other app allows you to do that with a free account. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I get mine through People's Lobby, so I get to use the fancy, and, uh, if I do it on my computer. I don't have the time limit. 
Yeah, no, no time limit. Nope. Um, and also they give you like, I don't know if it does this for the free version, but you can like download some update to make it so you can use the backgrounds without having a green screen so that people Ooh. can't see into your fucking messy ass house when you're on a conference call. <laughs> <laughs> Or see I my boyfriend that. zoom bombing everyone in the background, like shaving behind me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm trying to go viral. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Oh. oh, so how are you feeling? Um, I've been hanging in there. I've been really fucking busy, more busy than I was before. And I obviously didn't have a full-time job then. So I'm just like getting used to it. Even though I work from home. So theoretically, you think it should be pretty easy, but it's still a lot of shit. <sighs> yeah, no, there's a whole other layer of working with working from home. That's like mm-hmm. having to stay motivated and all this other stuff. It's it's yeah, and yeah. You, you know, you continuously get distracted by uh, you know domestic tasks, and it's yeah. Right. And then it's just, there's no separation between like work and not work. It's like, <laughs> I'm, t- I don't know. It's weird. I never have had this experience before. So it's very interesting, but I'm getting the hang welcome. of it. I feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Welcome to the future. I mean, honestly, I prefer to not have to, cause my other option for doing this job would be walking around the fucking airport parking lot and talking to drivers that way. And let me tell you, I do not want to do that. So Oh online <laughs> online canvassing is definitely better but uh yeah definitely a challenge i have not i had not experienced up until now i have i was talking to my therapist about um boundaries and <laughs> recently <laughs> and because i email him a lot and it's always like it's when we first started when i first started seeing him it was like um emotional context content stuff like um, and now it's mostly just like all the cultural references that he doesn't get, um, and stuff like that. But we're I was talking to him about that because I was like, mm, I know I'm your favorite client, but does this bother you? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like, I was like, here's the thing like, I don't, and it was, it was a breakthrough. I was like, I don't experience boundaries in a professional way because I work from home, I'm a freelancer, so like. I've never taken a vacation, right? Like, because everything is work. And like, I have clients in all these different time zones who um, are in contact with me at like literally all times of the day and night. And it just Mm -hmm. doesn't make it like everything bleeds into everything. And I would imagine that it's really like lovely to be able to turn it off uh, when your shift is over or when you're done seeing your clients for the day or whatever, but that's not my experience. So I don't have um <laughs> I have no frame of reference for what a normal boundary is and you have to tell me. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally uh, get that and cuz you know talking to these people it's like I send out 300 text messages people just answer me when they fucking answer me. So they might answer me at 11 o'clock at night. They might answer me at five in the morning when they're drinking. <laughs> like mm-hmm. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and also there's people in England. So then, you know, I have to talk to them, you know, when they call whatever their time time zone is. So it's just like, uh, yeah, it's, it's wild. It's a, it's yeah, it, it is a transition. I don't know. I mean, if you go back, you know, 
six months or even well when was the last time i saw you probably about six months ago like this you were just yeah i think you had just had a wreck and so you weren't really doing anything but like you've been freelance you've been contractor for quite a while mm -hmm. yeah it's been four years since i had a full-time regular job and um i'm really protective of my you know up well up until now like i was very protective of my ability to make my own fucking schedule and they still they're not like a normal job it's not like a nine to five job necessarily but there still are impositions put on you like you have to attend so many goddamn meetings and it's just like i know that all these things that you're doing are good but like i have a finite amount of attention that i can put on all this stuff and like attending 15 meetings a week about different initiatives is like not i can't do all that stuff so like i have to pare it down you know yeah fair to say there's a reason that you uh structured your life the way you did before <laughs> right exactly you know? i mean i'm much i'm a lot more grown up than i was when i had my last job and i was also partying a lot more back then so i was really tired and just couldn't focus on anything so that's obviously a better situation now but oh yeah it's still tough oh jesus my dog is like up my asshole what are you doing ma'am okay there we go <laughs> <laughs> so i have been trying to figure out exactly how i want to format these and honestly like i really don't know yet so we're going to be kind of ad-libbing here today a little bit sure. Um, I thought we would start with doing a little walkthrough of your house. Cool. Like we could start at the front door, walk me through and tell me, you know, what you're see what we're seeing. Tell me a little bit about your design choices. Tell me about pieces, furniture, art pieces that you have that you really like, stuff like that. All right, I can do that. Um, so I should have cleaned the house for this. Let me turn the camera around. <laughs> well we won't we won't use the video footage <laughs> oh okay <laughs> okay <laughs> turn the light on um all right oh this painting oh so this painting actually came from my nana's house uh i took it the first time we visited after she passed away it was hanging in her um entryway and uh she's got like all these like this religious knickknacks here. So she's like, uh, she was like really Catholic, like a third order nun. And uh, yeah, the day, the day we went to go visit after she passed, my uncle and my dad were fighting in another room. Like literally my dad ended up jumping on my uncle and choking him. And while that was happening, I ran into the entryway and I grabbed the fucking picture and I took it out to my car. <laughs> Because I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if he's going to like try to sell all these paintings and shit. I'm just going to take it right now. This one I just bought from an art show. It's cool. Nice. Look at this shit. It's wild. Um, yeah, so my fun mirror that I love. Um, so okay, living so room. we're in the entryway now, living room. Yeah, no. Now, living room is on the left side of the house, and it's uh, it's like the house is like split. Like the kitchen's all the way in the back, so this is the front of the house yeah that this place has a really interesting layout because it's it's like uh from the outside it looks like an apartment building so it's like condos yeah. or townhouses right how exactly is that mm -hmm. uh yeah it's condos um there's like four units 
or there's three, wait, four, no, there's three floors and there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven units on this side. And then the other side, I'm not sure, but um, what's interesting is when you come in, like it has a very, I mean, it feels like a house and it has almost like a railroad um, layout to it. But then you realize, oh shit, there's a second floor below. <laughs> like, I think I probably stayed there yeah. twice before I even realized that. Yeah, the, the bedroom downstairs is like where it's like most built, mo we're the only unit in the building that has that. Most of the other, well, the top floor has like a roof space um, mm -hmm. or like a loft area and we have like the basement, but I think the basement's a better deal. They had to tear down their roof deck last year oh. because the city is an asshole. Yeah, somebody made, somebody put that roof de deck up in the 70s and the city decided after this poor girl bought the condo that it violated the uh, city ordinances and they had to tear it down. So she had to tear down her own fucking roof deck that she had, I'm sure paid buku bucks extra you know, for when she bought the condo, she ended up selling it right away. I don't blame her. Yeah, um, no oh, kidding. Wait, she no. was like, she was like, this was a feature. What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. It fucking sucks. And the condo association's useless. Like they should have fought that. I don't know what they ended up doing. I don't know why they didn't win. It seems like that would have been an easy win since it was literally 40 years ago. Um, this. So what do you like about your living room? Um, well, I like the brick, the brick walls, probably my favorite thing. I really like the brick walls that we have even though they ruin the internet connection um and i really this is actually a working fireplace but we never fucking use it obviously <laughs> except to burn that guy alive what yeah <laughs> except uh yeah and then i, I like the, the windows are really nice um i really like the um i mean it's not like a view per se but like i like the, the i really would prefer it to be a, oh look it's a map of new orleans eric mm -hmm. got for me it's like the New Orleans sewer system. I painted this. Look at that. Nice. Ooh. Get it, girl. Um, yeah, so I really like the brick walls. I really like the windows. Um, it's a good size. Like, it's a big place. Like, we, there's four people living in here now, and we don't really, we're not up each other's asses or anything. Like, there's, you know, there's plenty of room. Um, here's the other part of the entryway. Like, and then the stairs that go down to the bedroom. Okay. Eric's down there watching a movie. Um, so yeah, then other side of the house, this long ass fucking hallway. This is uh, Amy's room, which is Eric's sister. Oh, this is my hallway of inspiration. All my Donnie Miller um, sayings. <laughs> the next time you feel really good, just keep feeling that way for the rest of your life. <laughs> Some problems don't have solutions. You killed the part of me that cares. I've had those forever. I found that guy by buying a, um, he, he did like a, ca a calendar one year. I got the calendar. And then I was obsessed with it. Him. Um, and then kitchen. Um, yes. Look, here's my, my portrait of my dog, <laughs> my dog that I have to Aww. prominently feature. Oh, you can barely see because of all this. Oh, look at her dumb face. <laughs> look at her. <laughs> Somebody barfed on the floor last night and scared me, and I thought I was going to have to take her to the dog ER again, but she's fine. Ooh. ooh. Hello. My little baby. Um, yeah, I wish I could go to the other side of the house. The internet fucking sucks here. 
Hang on, let's see if I can go downstairs. Yeah, this bedroom is really the my favorite. I really like how it is, and I like how the um, you can go through the uh, the front door outside through the basement. Dun, dun. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> my subterranean cave i love it down here this bedroom is really cool maybe i don't think the internet will die if i go back here this is my favorite hallway in the house with this like you can't with this stupid wall that somebody painted but it looks really cool I have um, a particular affection for painted over brick because I think it yeah. looks so uh, institutional. <laughs> it, it does. It's, <laughs> it's fun, and I really enjoy the um, I really enjoy the uh, like the painting. Like, yeah, I like the the nature versus the painted brick wall. I'm super into it. I've always loved this hallway. I need to replace one of these light bulbs as out, but. These fucking light, these fucking light bulbs. Oh my god, they cost like, or they did cost like twenty dollars a piece. Now I've been finding them a lot cheaper, but the first time I had to buy them, they were so goddamn expensive. Ugh. We had like a light bulb fund. It was like fifty dollars, <laughs> fifty dollars every couple months for fucking light bulbs. Are they like um, environmentally friendly or something? No, they're like horrible, awful halogen light bulbs. And I don't even think they have envir environmentally friendly versions that you can use because they're like, they're like such big light bulbs. I don't even think you can, I don't even think you can use an LED version. This is my, my doorway to the outside. Oh, you have like a little mini, little mini, uh, porch out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's the garden. Oh, it's raining. It's cold outside. Yep. A nice a rat trap. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. This I really would like to get. A, I would love to get like a door that you can lock like this. This mm -hmm. one doesn't. It has a lock, but it's like so jacked up. It's like 150 years old, so you can't really use it. Um, because some I would like to like chill in here with this door open, but I am afraid to because it opens right to the street. <laughs> And you know, we be in Chicago. Yeah. Coming in like they do. Although I have noticed every once in a while I'll forget to lock it or something and the door will have been unlocked for days and I didn't realize it. So oh my God. luckily, yeah, luckily nobody's uh, came and tried it. Well, you're in a pretty safe area of town, relatively speaking. But Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's not bad. I mean, it's Chicago, but it's not like... We're not in like a bad, bad neighborhood or anything. Da -da. I have so much crap. Yeah, I I would say that that's because you were raised Catholic. Catholics love kitsch. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. My mom is the exact same fucking way and so is my Nana. And that shit sitting on her painting, that's exactly the type of shit I do. Like, just here, let's stack some shit on some shit so that we can never <laughs> dust it. And never move it <laughs> unless we want everything to fall down. Right, just tons and tons of, of like iconography and really the only thing that changes generation <laughs> to generation is the content. <laughs> it's true. It's so funny. It's really, it's, that's actually very accurate. Uh, let's see how far down the hall we can go. Look at these green onions. I just learned Ooh. that you can put green onions in water and they'll keep growing. 
So now, look, they're like fucking 20 feet tall. Oh, yeah. I just, I can't believe I just learned this as a, as a grown-ass adult. <laughs> Seems like something I should have always known. Oh, I really like this thing. My ex-roommate made it. It used to go all the way across the wall, but she took the other half when she moved out. Um, but it's just like a pegboard that we got and painted it and then hung all that shit on it. And I really want to get another one and make, make it longer because now we have a, way too many pots and pans. Um, my faux taxidermy that I really enjoy. My David Bowie tribute over here. Oh, this picture came from my brother and sister-in-law. She, I think my sister-in-law actually painted it. Um, but they had that sign at their wedding and then they gave it to me, which was nice. Mm. Oh, I made this bathroom cabinet. Look at that. Oh, you made that? I mean, I assembled it. Oh, okay. <laughs> let me yeah, let me quantify that. I put it together, but I'm very proud of myself. Because, look, it fits perfectly in that stupid corner where nothing would ever go. Um, I <laughs> that is one this. of the most satisfying things in the world when you find a piece <laughs> It like really that. is. You just find, it's, a, it's the cheapest thing. I got this thing for, like, 15 bucks on Amazon. Like, it was nothing, and it's absolutely perfect. It's exactly what I needed. This I got from an Andrew Bird concert, obviously, but um, it was one of the first paintings that I like put the matting in and like, like put it, did it myself, you know, framed mm -hmm. it myself. And it's hanging there because there used to be a giant uh, white spot in the paint behind the painting. So we needed a really big painting to hang over it. And then like we <laughs> repainted the bathroom and I just left it there. <laughs> but here's another thing I assembled this desk. So obviously, because we're both working from home, Eric was working on a TV tray, which is here. He was working on that for several weeks, and then I finally went online and bought oh, him God. a little desk. <laughs> bought him a little desk and put it together. And this one I got from a garage sale. This is the one I'm working on. The big girl desk. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty dope. Uh, the neighbor was giving it away. Um, I found it on Amazon, whatever, or Amazon, Facebook uh, Marketplace. And just walked over and grabbed it. It was originally for Eric, but he can't use it for work because uh, he needs his work phone to be plugged into the router over here, and we can't move the router from where it is. Because mm. where the cable is. So we had to improvise. Um, oh, and this is our, our signed poster from when we went to Rocky Horror Picture Show. Got it signed by Little Nell last year when we saw it. Oh, awesome. I love it. It makes me so happy. Yeah, when we were trying to sell this condo, it was a goddamn nightmare trying to, I had to put everything away so it looked like, you know, to stage it, obviously. And it was the worst thing ever. And then we didn't end up selling it. And then I just put everything back. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I'm going to have to like redo, I'm going to have to redo it all. <laughs> but I don't care. We're not moving for a while. Who the fuck is going to move during a pandemic? Nobody. And you know what? If you do, uh, you're going to want to wait till like the housing prices, like till the housing market crashes, which is going to yeah. come when the economy completely uh, bottoms out here in a few months. Yeah, exactly. Now is not a good time. And, and we're making less money. I mean, I guess technically I'm making more money than I was, but Eric's making slightly less money. <laughs> Um, so yeah, life, I, the thing I like the most about living here, well, this neighborhood is really awesome. 
How did you, what's, what's your story with this property? Like, how did you come to live? So, um, my parents bought this condo for my little brother, um, in like 2007, uh, while he was going to DePaul. Um, and he lived here for many years with like various different roommates. It's like a three bedroom. Um, so it's, there's like lots of room, like the French doors that are in the hallway, that's a bedroom. I mean, that was obviously supposed to be an office, but they just painted the doors white so they could use it as a bedroom. And, uh, um, that became the second bedroom. And then there's like a little bedroom in the middle and then the downstairs bedroom. Um, so he was living there for a while with roommates. Then he ended up uh, dating his now wife and she moved in and then it was just them living there. And then when I, in 2013, uh, maybe they bought it in 2006, actually. I think I was, it was like the first year after I graduated college. Um, uh, so then in 2013, I was, I had just gotten dumped by my alcoholic fucking actor boyfriend, uh, after he cheated on me. And I was like, about to go into one of my worst depressions ever because literally the most uh useless person in the world told me that I wasn't marriage material. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, huh, wow, I think I really need to like reevaluate my life. I don't know. Um oh. my, <laughs> my friend uh um April who I don't I don't remember if you met April or not. I think oh yeah she must have been there when I came there because Jesse was there and I think April was with us. But anyway um, she used to live. Presumably, you weren't marriage. Uh, presumably, you weren't marriage material because you weren't equipped to completely take care of him. Um, yeah, basically, <laughs> or something. I don't know. I guess he thought he was slumming with me somehow, even though he was literally like the messiest alcoholic I've ever met in my life. Um, anyway, I should have, you know, looking back on it, it's embarrassing that it even bothered me. I don't even know what I was doing, but hey, live and learn, you know. But uh, my friend April was living in the city at the time, and my parents had been telling me, because Mikey was planning on moving down to New Orleans, and so they were, like, set to leave after the summer, and so my parents were like, well, either we're going to sell the condo, or why don't you go see if you want to try living there? And I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> my friend came over. She helped me pack my shit, and I went and moved into the extra bedroom upstairs. And that's how I started living here. So then they they were there until August or something, and then they left. And then I moved from that smaller bedroom down to the big bedroom downstairs, and April moved into the office bedroom. I was here with, and then I moved this other girl in who still lives here, but she's actually quarantining somewhere else right now so it's just me and then when Eric moved in he moved in with his little sister who is in the room that I used to be in and her uh, boyfriend is here now too so it's us four and my other roommate is staying at her boyfriend's who is also my ex which is weird a whole nother trauma for another tale all right I'm gonna attempt <laughs> to go outside and okay. hopefully this works she really doesn't have a good system for telling me she needs to go out. She just starts jumping around and she does that when she wants literally anything. So I kind of have to guess what the problem is. And sometimes the problem is that she's about to have diarrhea and I didn't move fast enough to get her outside, which is always <laughs> hilarious when it happens. 
It's kind of a lot of people out here. Hmm. Go potty. I'll let you. I'll let you watch. Oh, Go okay. Potty. Right. <laughs> Quit fucking around. <laughs> we live right across the street from. There's a park over there. There's like so many people outside. Yeah, Eric gets like really upset because we'll walk outside and there'll be like 25 people on the sidewalk not wearing masks and shit. And he's just like, oh my God, I can't even leave the house. Yeah, how are infections rates out there? Um, We're actually doing better than most places. I haven't been looking at the numbers, but we, the mayor has been, I don't know if you've seen all the, the memes with the mayor about staying inside. <laughs> I have. They're so good. <laughs> They're it's so, so funny. Yeah, so they're very, they've been pretty strict about it, um, and it's it's been pretty good. Um, but there's starting to be some pushback from crazy people who just don't care about anything, I guess. So my parents, oh my god, my mom, she's making me so crazy. Like, what they're just for almost for a full straight month. Every time I spoke to her, she would complain about how us crazy people are ruining her life, not letting her go outside. And I'm like, I did not do this. I don't know why you're blaming me. <laughs> like, how am I in one way responsible for this? You can blame a lot of things on me, but I don't think fucking COVID-19 is one of them. All right. Good job. You well, you know, the, the quarantine, uh, and there are a lot of ways to break this down, but it almost immediately became a partisan issue, which I found really strange and discouraging, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was just um, saying that the other day. How did it get so politicized so quickly? Obnoxious. Well, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that um, the, the right... <laughs> let's just say, like, Donald Trump has not been... Uh, in action and personal words following his own administration's guidelines yeah. for this, right. right? Like, the White House will say, here's where we're at with this, here are the guidelines, and then Donald Trump will, like, go and tweet at a governor to be, like, free Michigan, or, uh, you know, and it's yeah. like, you're going, you're going against your own messaging, so then what happens is there's a split where the people who, like, his sycophants um, go, well, our God doesn't like this. I think it also has something to do with the fact that a lot of uh, the right base lives out in rural areas where they don't really have many, if any, cases. So to them, it's like, because this is how my mom is. She's in Cary. They don't have anybody with coronavirus there, luckily for them. Um, they all have a lot of money. They can all afford to socially distance pretty easily. You know, they all have adequate health care. So it really isn't a crisis in that community. And so they don't understand that just because it isn't a crisis for them, it doesn't mean that it isn't a crisis somewhere. <laughs> and right. we're supposed to be you know, United you States have of America. To, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And they also don't understand the concept of like, do you understand that there are people that work in hospitals that commute from small communities to work in hospitals and then drive back? So even if you perceive this to be a city problem, that doesn't mean that there's no feasible way for that problem to come from the city to you, you know, like why you don't, you don't live in a fucking bubble. Like you, you're part of the, 
you know, you're part of the ecosystem, even if it takes longer for something like that to hit you, you know, it'll come eventually. And I think just because she doesn't know anybody personally that has it, like she keeps telling me every time I talk to her, well, still don't know anybody who has Corona. I'm like, I know like 17 people who have it. So would you shut up about it already? Like people have it. I'm telling you. And it's like, yeah, I talked to a lot of rideshare drivers in their high risk community because they're driving around picking up people going to and from the doctor and shit. So yeah, I know a lot of people who have it, but it's like, I'm sorry, it's not affecting you. Maybe you should just be grateful that none of your friends are fucking sick. Like Jesus Christ. Yeah, up until a few weeks ago, up well, I would say up until yeah, like two weeks ago when it really actually started to hit rural Washington, I had a lot of um, hometown folks in my Facebook feed, like sharing conspiracies and stuff, and being like, "Do you even know anybody who has it?" I think the government's making this up. All this other kind of crazy, uh, (laughs) warped shit. And now, you know, because of that. Uh, Yakima County has the highest rate on the West Coast. So yeah, that it's been hit hit hard now out there, hasn't it? I saw I was Mm -hmm. seeing New York is really bad too. Seattle was the Um, first epicenter, and now it's actually kind of a national example of how to handle it. Oh, Um, that's good. That's awesome. Yeah, partly because of the response, largely because of the response, and probably also partly because Seattleites are incredibly antisocial. (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think chicago also has that um like i don't know we're not you know we like going to the park we like going to beaches and shit but we don't just all stand outside and congregate at least not in this neighborhood chicago's not super duper dense yeah it's been i mean honestly like i go to the grocery store once every couple weeks and i hate it and that's like the worst thing i have to do when i'm walking around outside like there are joggers and people going past but if you walk in the street you can pretty much avoid everybody and it's not super busy because nobody's you know there's not a ton of cars out i think they're talking about doing the same thing here that they did where they open up some of the streets to like make them just promenades Um, so Mm. that people can avoid the sidewalks more, um, which I think would be a great idea because that's like the biggest problem, especially in Lakeview. Like our neighborhood isn't too bad, but like if you go a little bit south, um, it's, it is a lot more dense and like, it's really hard to just like, you can't just walk out on the sidewalk. There's like a hundred people on the sidewalk. So, and of course they've got like a lot of homeless people. They're not obviously worrying about coronavirus or whatever. So (laughs) actually I had a terrifying uh, experience downtown like the weekend before last. So we were, um, we were, we went down to film some video for a a rally we're doing that we did on Friday. And uh, we wanted to get pictures in front of the Chicago theater because um, we're basically going to go out there and hold like a sign, you know, whatever. And we wanted to get like the backdrop of the Chicago theater. And it also says we love Chicago on the, on the, uh, thing so um we went down there it was me and two other people and it turns out when downtown is empty the only people that are left walking around are the fucking crazy people who look like they're about to assault you at any second so there was legit like three or four times that i thought that they these dudes were gonna like jump us and take our shit like people were they were watching us and then they like started circling and like coming around and i was like oh my god you guys like we need to hurry up like this is getting legit that's like the most afraid i've ever been downtown ever 
ever in my entire life. Like it was so bizarre. And then they like followed us to the car and shit. I was just like, oh my god. And, oh, like, that's it was so that's so kind of like post apocalyptic feeling, right? It is. It is. And they're like, I mean, these are like the. You know, these are like the people that you see out on the sidewalk. And normally, I guess they just kind of blend in more because there's a lot of other people. But like, these are the people that clearly either they're homeless or, you know, maybe they're mentally ill or whatever's going on. Uh, but like, they are just, I don't know, man, they were watching us. And my friend Nikki, who was with us, she's like, she doesn't like, I'm, I'm much more paranoid. I was definitely afraid, like from the first second that I noticed that people were starting to pay attention to what we were doing. And, like, she's so, totally oblivious. She, like, put her purse down. And this guy started walking over by her bag, like, watching us, walking slow. And, like, he got closer and closer. And I so, sort of stepped closer to him. And then he, like, intentionally fucking coughed on me. Like, probably hoping that it would make me back up so that he could reach down and grab it. And, of course, I didn't back up because I was mad <laughs> then. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I'll just die, whatever. And she didn't even really notice this was happening. And then when I like stayed where I was, he just kind of like backed away and like left. But like, there were people like, there was like two guys, one of them was talking to us. The other one was like, totally scoping, like what the best way to grab the camera and run would be like, it was super obvious. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so terrible right now. And we were literally, we were like 20 feet away from like five cops that were just standing in the middle of the road, not even paying attention, not looking at all. It was crazy. It's so, it's and then like my car fucking, fucking broke like down. the hill. It's like the hills have eyes or something. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was freaky, man. I mean, there's a lot of street people in Chicago, and it's fine. Usually it doesn't bother me, but uh, yeah, we, we had all of their attention that day, and that is quite an unsettling um, situation to be in. Um, luckily, it was uh, Steve, our, one of our drivers, Steven. Well, he's not in our organization, but Steven, he's from, like, one of the bad neighborhoods, and I'm like, you know, if I have to have anybody with me, I prefer to have it be this guy. <laughs> I feel like he's scrapped enough. Maybe he could, like, actually uh, fight these guys off. Yeah, you um, also just, like, definitely can't be not out and about with, like, a whole bunch of um, kind of, like, middle class, like, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. Idiots, we need somebody you know? who, looks, who looks like they, yeah, who actually understands danger. <laughs> like, I'm privileged, but I'm at least aware of my privilege. And, you know, I understand that I make a pretty damn good target. Uh, so I need to, like, be careful. Um and Nikki was not even thinking about it at all. And I was just like, oh, God, <laughs> please, 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 please don't rob us right now. I cannot have this. Uh, yeah, and then my <laughs> fucking car broke down, so we couldn't leave right away. And there was, like, some fucking lady standing next to the car yelling in at us. And I was just like, oh, my God, we have to get out of here. Yeah, that's the other thing. My car has been fucking acting up now. So I don't know what is going on with that. And every time I try to take it in, they can't see what's wrong because the only time it fucks up. This happened twice. I parked it under the L downtown. It broke down both times, but it hasn't done it anywhere else. And then once I turn the car off and turn it back on, all the warning lights go away. So I have no fucking idea what's causing it, except that it only happens when I go under the L. So now I'm like low key wondering if like there's like some sort of electrical charge happening that's fucking with my car from the L tracks. I don't know. Oh, that's weird. weird. Yeah, it's really strange. And I've never seen it happen ever, ever before. It doesn't happen anywhere else. And I'm just like, what on earth would be causing this to only happen when I go downtown? And of course, I'm parked on like fucking lake, like in this on the sketchiest like like part of lake. Like, just it's not like a terribly dangerous street normally, but like, you know, when you're the only person out there, <laughs> it's not super great. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's also a little like isol. You know, like and every place yeah. feels isolated because of that. But like that area of lake is yeah. a little a little. Um, 
That's a little sketch. Yeah, it was definitely, it was a little freaky, so. Yeah, so that happened, but, um, yeah, our neighborhood is super bougie, though. It's like, and so Chris, uh, Amy's boyfriend, uh, who's been staying with us, is black, and, like, he was sitting on the front, he was sitting on the front bench, and our goddamn neighbor came out and asked him what he was doing there, and I was like, oh, my God, really, guys? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, people... Why would you come up to somebody on a city bench in Chicago and ask them what they're doing? Like, there's people that sit there all the fucking time. It's just so embarrassing. I'm like, oh, my fucking shitty neighbors. And now they've been complaining because it smells like weed because they smoke weed. And so I'm like, well, it's fucking legal. So what is the problem? So they were smoking on the porch and the upstairs neighbor came down and like cornered them and was like, you can't smoke this out here. And they were like, well, I think that we can. <laughs> and he's like, no, you can't. And so then he emailed my fucking mom instead of talking oh to me about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then I had my mom fucking calling me bitching about it. She's like, well, I don't want, I don't want them p- pissing off the neighbors. I'm like, yeah, but you're the one who said you didn't want smoking in the fucking condo. So they were trying to be respectful of your fucking wishes and go put smoke outside. And then they get hassled by the goddamn neighbor. And she's like, well, I just, I don't know what to tell you. They just can't do it then. And I'm like, I'm not, I can't tell them they can't do it. It's fucking legal. Like, it's, <laughs> I'm not going to like, I'm not doing that. So oh my God. make them a floby or something. I know it's so fucking ridiculous. I can't even with these people. So bougie, what, is, what neighborhood oh are you God. in? Um, this is Buena Park. So like Uptown is actually a bad neighborhood, but we're like the, we're like the South part of Uptown. And that's actually like kind of, you know, it's kind of a fancier neighborhood, I guess. There's a lot of mansions down the street from us. Um, the George Maher neighborhood. So like that was, um, there's a lot of like, uh, prairie style, like mansions with like fucking Frank Lloyd Wright style glass pieces and things like that um just like two or three blocks from here so this whole neighborhood used to be so uptown was like back before there was actual hollywood back when it was like vaudeville or whatever um uh, uptown used to be sort of the equivalent of hollywood for vaudeville actors um and this neighborhood was like the suburbs of that so like there was a lot of rich people that had like vacation homes here and then they um either the mansion stayed or they split them up into, into smaller units or whatever. But this was like a, this was always like a rich bougie sort of area all the way up until the seventies. And then they called it hillbilly heaven because a bunch of people from the Ozarks moved here and built roof decks illegally on top of the buildings that later had to be torn down. Apparently. <laughs> I swear to God there, I saw a fucking article online about hillbilly heaven and I, I shit you not. I really think the picture was taken in our courtyard of the kid that was uh, in the article. Like, it looks so much like our fucking courtyard. And I was like, I know a lot of court large courtyards look similar, but that really, really looks like our courtyard. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this, and then it was a really bad neighborhood for a long time. Like, it got real dangerous. You couldn't go by the lake for years and years. Um, and then basically, I guess, in like the uh, 90s, they started cleaning it up, and now it's like really nice again. And that's the history of my neighborhood. Awesome. I, uh, Chicago history is it, just fascinating. Yeah, it really is. I love learning about it. I don't know that much about all the neighborhoods, but I learned, you know, obviously I live here, so I learned, tried to learn about this one. And um, April's dad was, grew up in the city. Um, and he's like, I remember when I was growing up, he's like, where you guys live, you couldn't go 
you couldn't go anywhere near where you were. Like it was all like, uh, it was all a lot of like child sex workers. There was a serial killer that operated around here at that time, uh, taking sex workers. Um, and just like a lot of gangs and fighting and shit but it was like not just it was like white people it wasn't even just like you know you think of gangs in chicago you think of like you know minority communities but it was like white people too i guess i don't know it's crazy it would have been interesting to see what it was like i don't want to live here at that time but i wish i could i wish i could have seen it once i'm very yeah, city cities are funny that way like cities are funny that way like new new york like living in the East Village, all you get all the time from the old timers is like romanticizing the 70s in New York, which, you know, to be fair, it was pretty fucking cool. But um, by all accounts, but I'm like, I don't know. I kind of like being able to walk back from the bar to my apartment and not getting robbed. <laughs> yeah. <That's> <laughs> yeah, it was a really nostalgic time for people that didn't ever want to walk around outside by themselves. <laughs> um, I, I it's, bet the 70s the time, were dangerous. Were yeah. That's true. I feel like at the time yeah. you were very mad about everything that was happening, but now it's now it's nostalgic. Yeah, now okay. now you remember all the cool shit. Well, honestly, like you know, I I know it's very bougie of me, but like I I prefer a world where the street isn't littered with like child sex workers. I think that's fine. Like I'm okay <laughs> with that. <laughs> I, I prefer not to have to see it all day every day. I mean, I know it is happening and that really sucks, but I feel like it was more prevalent back then. And people didn't like investigate children disappearing. They just were like, oh, kids run away all the time. No, kids get fucking kidnapped and murdered and you're just not checking is what's happening. <laughs> I mean, uh, I guess people yeah. did run away more back then, but people mm, also I mean, got murdered. People, <laughs> I mean, like the the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, and Florida are the two like serial killer hotspots, you know, of the seventies and eighties. And yeah, so it's like you know, sure, people were like out hitchhiking and doing their thing, and their demographic shifts and great migrations of young people and whatever. But like, also, uh, there was a lot of serial killers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Fuck yeah, dude. And you could, like, you could do whatever you wanted, man. Back then, you could actually drop off the grid if you wanted to. You could leave mm -hmm. home, change your fucking name. No one would ever find you. Like, can you imagine ha that being an option? You could never do that now. There's no fucking way. You would always, there's always some trail of what happened to you now. I was thinking about uh, Wondery just dropped a six part series on um, Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer. And oh, yeah. And he had served time for child molestation when he <sighs> assaulted that like eight-year-old girl in LA. And he got out and he basically like either, I don't know if he was done with probation or if he just shook the guy, but he moved to New York, started at NYU and just changed his name and was like, I'm now attending NYU as some other dude. And no one, like no one picked up. And he started working at like a, um, like a girl's sleepaway camp. <laughs> Jesus, of you know? course and he like, did. And no one, you know, there, no one ever figured out that he was, you know, he was going by John Berger. And it's like, how the fuck, first of all, you can't enroll in a college now with like a new name. That's not a thing. 
Yeah, no, that's fucking crazy. No, it's, 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 it's mind boggling to think of how, I mean, we don't have a frame of reference other than hearing people talk about it, but, uh, it's, how different things must have been back then. It just boggles the mind. I would definitely prefer to live now, to be honest. I don't think that it would have benefited me much. All of those things, it would have just made my life a lot more dangerous (laughs) to live. So If for criminals, it was great, I guess, but uh, wouldn't be so Well, I mean, being a union organizer in Chicago is mm. a pretty fraught and dangerous position at any time in human history, but like... It is. <laughs> or at any, I actually at any think time about this, like, Uber, so this is kind of a, a wild uh, conspiracy theory, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's not possible. So, so Travis Kalanick was the CEO of Uber. And, you know, he was the scapegoat for a lot of, like, when they, when they had a lot of issues and a lot of people were like, oh, it's because of Travis, blah, blah, blah. So they had just gotten a bunch of investment money from the Saudi royal family, right? And uh, they wanted him to step down as CEO, and he refused. And then fucking a week later, his parents got into a boating accident, and one of his parents died. And then he stepped down, like, the next fucking day. and. I'm just like, man, did the CEO of Uber just get part of his family murdered because of the Saudi royal family? Like, I truly believe that that might have happened. And so sometimes I wonder, honestly, if we get really successful at this and people keep unionizing, are organizers going to start fucking disappearing? Like, it is entirely possible that that might happen, you know, which is really unsettling to think about, but... Those are the things that people get killed for, man. Fucking up a million, multi-million dollar business is definitely something somebody would murder you for. Yeah, it's wild. Well, luckily, uh, we don't have a lot of, um, we haven't done a lot. Well, not to say we're not <laughs> luckily, but Luckily, we're not that <laughs> successful. <laughs> yeah, we're not that successful. <laughs> not successful enough for that to happen yet, I don't think. Um, we haven't actually unionized. Um, but what is I the timeline? That, like, where where are you guys at with, this movement and like, what's the timeline of, of this movement so, starting? Cause it's starting to get a lot of attention. Yeah. I mean, I think now with this crisis, it's going to move things along. I mean, especially with drivers not working, getting unemployment. So we found out that drivers have actually been eligible for unemployment since 2017. Uh, the state just didn't publicize it and didn't want to talk about it because they didn't, I'm assuming they didn't want people calling in trying to get money. Um, but they have actually low key been approving drivers since 2017 because our state does have an ABC test, which is the same thing that AB five does where basically it says, you know, do you control the nature of your work? Are you able to, um, do this work outside of, uh, what you do for this company? Like, would you be able to have your own business doing this work without the company? The answer is no, obviously, um, because we have to use their fucking app and shit. So it turns out that according to the state of Illinois, Uber and Lyft are employers. So Illinois has already determined for the sake of unemployment that we are misclassified employees. Um, They haven't extended that uh, to any other facet of city government or, you know, state government or whatever at this moment. Um, But that is going to be huge leverage, I think, when we decide to really push and we can get that ABC test applied to, you know, a lot of other things as well, such as, you know, uh, you know, maybe healthcare or, you know, sick pay or overtime or whatever. But in California, because they passed AB5, they actually have a wage, uh, the guy who built our software, 
they, he created a form to calculate all the back wages that Uber owes you now that you're an employee, uh, according to AB five. And like, it's a shitload of money. <laughs> like it's a shitload of money. So that would be pretty dope if we could do that here. But the problem is as soon as you get anything passed with Uber, they start to retaliate against you and they start doing fucked up shit. So you can't log into the app and you know, things like that. So uh, a lot of drivers are afraid to do it because they've seen what's happened in other places. So while we do, we're getting more support than we used to. Um, there's still a lot of drivers who are not super supportive of the idea of reclassifying us because they don't want to work for Uber and they don't want to be retaliated against, which I understand that. And I really don't want to be Uber's employee either. I think they're a terrible fucking company. Um, but I want to make decent money, you know? So, um, the timeline now is we were hoping to get legislation passed this year. Um, we have a shell bill that's being written um, by uh, one of our state reps, Will Gazzardi, and another uh, a senator, Christina Castro. And then they're like, you know, getting other um, other state reps to sign on and stuff. So they have this shell bill written, but they can't meet now because of Corona and they can't even meet. Um, it violates like the open meetings act or something. So they can't even meet like via zoom or anything like that. Like they have to, because of the way the law is, they have to like meet in person and it has to be like an open meeting. So, um, yeah, they're basically out for nobody knows how long until they can meet again. So everything that was planned for this year is pretty much out the fucking window, but we're just trying to, now is a really good time to like, I know we're trying to build our numbers, get more drivers in, and being paid to talk to drivers for people's lobby is a really good opportunity for me to do that. And I've just been working on the interpersonal part of organizing, which is not something I'd really done before because I didn't have time and I wasn't being paid for it. So now I'm like spending time actually talking to drivers and developing relationships with them, you know, and uh, you know, doing that um, to sort of build numbers and build support. And then hopefully when we are able to leave our houses and go, down state and meet with lawmakers we'll have a lot more drivers with us and we'll be a lot more convincing i mean we went to lobby day a few months ago like in february and it was very successful we, we spoke to a lot of lawmakers and a lot of them are very supportive so i really do think it is going to get passed it's just a question of how long is it going to take with this crisis happening um but Uber and Lyft can hold you up indefinitely with their fucking shenanigans. You know what I mean? Like as soon as you get something passed, they find some other way to, to get around you and then you have to fight with that. And, um, but California just had a huge win They're uh, uh, there. They have somebody now suing them, uh, suing Uber and Lyft, uh, to comply with AB five, which is fucking huge. And, um, can you give me an example of like, uh, an instance where you would make progress and the company, uh, shuts it down or pivots? Yeah. So like in New York, um, they won the wage floor, right? So, um, you know, they have to get paid like $27 an hour before expenses, I think it is. And so that comes out to like $21 an hour after you factor in expenses. So in order to get around that Uber just made it so that you can't log in during certain times that they don't deem busy enough. So basically they took away drivers flexibility to choose their own shifts, um, so that they wouldn't have to pay the money. Um, so drivers flipped out about it, obviously, because, you know, people drive when they drive because that's when they fucking can. So you can't just tell them, no, you can't drive now. You know what I mean? So, um, that was a huge issue and that caused a lot of blowback for the New York movement because drivers got, you know, were super fucking upset about it, obviously. Um, 
And in California, uh, the way that they're trying to get around AB5 is they're trying to prove that they're actual. So AB5 doesn't say, it doesn't make them employees. But what it says is, if you don't provide these drivers these things that would actually make them an independent contractor, then by default, they are an employee. So in order to like defeat AB5, the company said, okay, well then fuck you. We're going to give you the shit that you're asking for. But it's all like a fucking show. It's like, they tell you how long the ride is. Um, you know, they tell you how much money you're going to make, but like, you still can't, you know, if you don't take a certain number of rides, you still lose, uh, revenue, they, you still lose bonuses, you know, stuff like that. So like, they gave you like the bare minimum of the information that you would need to be an independent contractor, but you can't really use that information to your, to your, uh, benefit, you know? Um, there's also issues because now there's, uh, Uber's like, well, what is going to happen now is it's going to be just like cabs. And because drivers know where the rides are going, you know, they're going to not take anyone to these bad communities. And, you know, we don't want that to happen. Well, they, they don't give a shit about that. They just want their money. Right. So, um, they're like trying to scare the public into thinking that, you know, they're not going to be able to get rides anymore. If drivers have the ability to know where their rides are going and how much money they're going to make before the ride which doesn't even make sense because most rideshare drivers live in fucking poor communities anyway. So why the fuck wouldn't they go there? They live there, you know? There's, I mean, there is a market for everywhere. I mean, I remember when I was doing Uber in Louisiana. um, This is a whole other rabbit hole about like the way that, that Louisiana handles rules for drivers is really weird but basically I couldn't pick people up in Orleans Parish but I could do Uber Eats there and I could pick people up at that time I could pick people up at the airport and uh and Jefferson Parish and whatever now you have to have uh Louisiana tags to pick up anywhere in the state but it's I wanted to go down there for like a working vacation and they were like, no bitch, we actually have rules. And I was like, that's really funny because in Chicago, you can literally come from anywhere and fucking drive. Why does Chicago have no fucking rules about it at all? It's so infuriating. And we've tried to get the city government to pass something and they're like, no, fuck you. Yeah. But people, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, because I couldn't drive in Orleans Parish, I would go on like a Friday night, I would go out to, um, oh, like Bell Chase and all this stuff, like everything across the river and pick people up and bring them into the French Quarter to party. And I mean, I made so, and granted like Bell Chase is, it's a ritzy ass area, but it's like, you know, you would think like, oh, nobody wants to fucking go out there. And it's it's like, no, I was actually making bank because I, I was one of the only people who was out there and yeah, they really, it's, it's a very insidious tool of companies like Uber to use kind of the, the social justice talking points against a movement that is trying to achieve social justice. Exactly. They're very, very good at it. And they also are very good at turning drivers against each other by making us think that other drivers are the enemy when they are the fucking enemy. Like they have paid union busters i mean i'm gonna call them union busters that's not necessarily what they are but like they pay people to go into these groups that are organizing and start fights with people so that they can't succeed and we know for a fact they do this so like they're i mean they employ all of the tools of the union busting trade aside from like driving by and flashing guns at you like (laughs) you know like they're on top of it and they they've mess up messages you know they the other thing they were doing was um, 
telling, cause we said we want a driver cap in Chicago. And then they're like, well, you can't have a driver cap because that's going to negatively influence, you know, uh, there won't be enough drivers for the riders. I'm like, in what world do you think 120,000 rideshare drivers isn't enough? There's already too many drivers now. How would instituting a cap at this point make there not be enough drivers? That doesn't even make any fucking sense. And people were still like, whoa, that's a good point. It's like, no, it's fucking not. It doesn't even respond to the fucking issue. Like, Yeah, so it's just... And it's not even always the companies. These organizations are so difficult. So we did a, a rally, a virtual online rally, and... I got a fucking phone call from an organizer in London who's part of the national group that I'm in complaining to me because we worked with IDG, which is a yellow union. They were, they were paid, uh, you know, Uber, you know, they, they were organizing and Uber paid them money and basically and gave them some bullshit and they accepted it. And then, you know, they remained an organization and they kind of undermined the work that the other um, groups were doing. And so like everybody hates them, but like they're, I guess, trying to redeem themselves or whatever. So one of the people that I'm organizing with, he's like, I want to incur, I want to work with them. You know, I think we can bring them, them into this, whatever. I'm like, fine, I'm not going to argue with you. It's fine. I don't care. I, it literally, we're not meeting with them. We literally just put out a video where we all collaborated sure. and I'm already getting like fucking angry text mails and text messages and from other organizers like oh i can't believe you're working with them i'm just like you know what dudes like they're still organizing obviously they didn't get what they want like shit happened i get it i'm not gonna say that it's right to be a yellow union but like at the same time if they want to keep organizing and they and they want to achieve more goals why we're gonna shun them forever like i don't know whatever <laughs> yeah that's i think a problem in in any kind of organizing i know i see a lot of that in, in sex worker rights organizing too where it's like where purity politics can really get in the way of productivity yeah it's, that's the most exhausting part of it honestly like we don't get a lot of direct interaction from the company they just let us tear ourselves apart which is a pretty effective tool at this point because people just cannot fucking work together it's infuriating yeah, when you're looking at any uh, activist community, you are dealing with a lot of people who are, you know, they're all fire, you know, they're not in, they're firecrackers. They're not in organizing because they love the status quo and love like bureaucratic systems right. or whatever. And it's, just, it's, there are inherent challenges because of the personality types who are attracted mm -hmm. to um, any kind of organizing or activism and, and they're high, you know, it's a highly principled group of people and yeah. And as a, a movement gets broader and broader and broader, those are the core people who are going to be dis, who are going to have complaints and be dissatisfied with how they perceive their movement as as going. Right. Exactly. It's very true. And and uh, and it's not even to say that they're not bringing up valid issues. Often they are, but it's like uh, yeah. you have to you have to learn how to pick your battles. Exactly. And if and if and if being a purist that way you know, if you feel like you can't go on and you can't organize because of it, then you're not a fucking organizer. You know what I mean? Like you have right. to keep organizing. Otherwise you're not organizing. So like getting, you know, not participating with other groups, you know, even when it would benefit the movement, just because you don't agree with something they did, you know, that's not productive and that doesn't help. 
you know, and it just, it just helps the company win by keeping us divided. You know, you got to get over that shit. You know, we still work with the other group in Chicago that split off from us. I do it because <laughs> we need to do it. Yeah. So I really, you know, I know the people that I like to work with. I mean, we do get things done, you know? Um, so in that respect, it's like, okay, fine. You know, we don't have to be friends to make this happen. Get over here, over here, over here. So, and that's my point, you know, you don't have to be fucking friends. You know, I prefer to work with my friends, but I can get things done with other people and it's not, you know, I'll do it. All right. Well, give me a little bit of, of your background. Like, where are you from? Are you from Chicago? Um, I grew up in Cary. So, um, it's 50 miles Northwest of the city. It's a small town. It was a very nice place to grow up and it's very boring and there's nothing there except businesses and houses. Like the the town of Cary has like two restaurants in it and like 80,000 people. <laughs> like it's crazy. Um Jesus. But yeah, it's they have it's nice. My parents still live there and I like to go visit you know, I could never live there again. I was extremely unhappy when I lived there. I really, really prefer living in the city. Um, and How long I have you been thought, in Chicago proper? Um, I moved here in 2013 when I, when I basically took the condo over from my brother. I should have moved here long before I did, to be honest. Like, I always thought I would save money living at home with my parents. And so after college, when shit went south with one of my boyfriends or whatever, I moved back in with my folks. And I thought, oh, I'll save money living here, blah, blah, blah. Hell no, I didn't save any money. All I did was go out, go out drinking every single fucking night to the bar because I couldn't hang out at home. And just blew through my whole, because I had lost my job too at that time. It was a great year, by the way. That was 2011, best year ever. Um, <laughs> ha had a horrible breakup, lost my fucking job, blew through my entire 401k in about a year. Uh, was on unemployment because it was also during the downturn and so uh, unemployment was extended. So I was on unemployment for like a year and a fucking half. <laughs> it was, uh, it was wild times, but um, yeah, I was extremely unhappy. And like, after I moved to Chicago, I was like, oh my God, like, what is there to be unhappy about? There's like a beautiful beach down the fucking street for me. Like there's so much shit to do. It's not even expensive. Like you can go to a fucking show here for 10 bucks and it's good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, not that I go out anymore anyway, but the point is I can, if I want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I definitely like, I get into that when I'm, cause right now I'm, uh, at my grandmother's house and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's so low overhead. And it's like, yeah, but you're, fucking bored to death and all you just shop online all day yeah exactly my parents are you know they have their routine they're they're insular they have their family um you know i was single when i moved here and it's not easy to live in a small town when you're fucking single like it's just not like there's nothing to do there's no one to hang out with you know i was just it was just a miserable fucking existence and now that eric and i are together i probably could handle living in a small town better you know, because we just hang out together and hang out in the house all the time or whatever. But like, I still like being able to, you know, go out and see cultural things without having to drive to two hours to get there, you know? So like me and my friend go to the museum, you know, several times, uh, you know, what, like every couple months we go to the fucking museum and see the new exhibits and, you know, in the summer we go to the beach and stuff like that. And you can't do any of that shit in Cary. It's just a pain in the ass. So, but I, you know, it's, uh, I do miss the forest preserves. They have a lot of really nice forest preserves and there's really not a lot of that here. So 
that's the one thing I do. I do think about walking around outside sometimes when in places where there's not 8 million people. And especially now during quarantine, I do miss, uh, you know, I am a little envious of them being able to like go out and leave their house and not be surrounded by people everywhere they go. But, uh, yeah, still, I'm glad we're here and it's nice. Um, I'm really glad that I'm quarantined with Eric and I don't have to do this by myself. Cause that would be a fucking nightmare. Oh yeah. You guys get, you have a lot of space and you also just seem to really get along well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we fought, we've been fighting a little bit more since this, uh, since being together literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week <laughs> with literally no breaks ever. Um, but we're doing pretty good. Um, and it's not like anything like serious. It's just like irritations, you know? <laughs> you just, exist yeah oh why are you constantly existing in my fucking space <laughs> um but i'm so goddamn busy during the week now like li- seriously like i have no time to even like i have meeting after meeting after meeting you know sometimes well into the night it's just like oh fuck man i don't know it's very stressful i i'm not saying i don't appreciate getting this job i very much appreciate it but it's definitely wearing on me a little bit and I can see how people will get burnt out and, uh, of this type of stuff quickly. You know, if you do not take the time to care for yourself mentally, this could not be a career choice. You know, how did you find your way to this? Because you, you kind of like bounced around different office jobs and you're kind of a party kid and, and all this. And like, how did you find your way into driving? And then how did you, from there, find your way into organizing? Well, driving was just literally like, I lost my job. I used to work in HR and I worked at Hewitt for a long time. And eventually I got fired from that job. Uh, I moved, I had, had several jobs. I had three different jobs there, but my, the third job that I had there, they moved me to this other department and my manager got laid off. And after she got laid off, it became clear that she was like doing a bunch of stuff for me and this other girl that were working under her, but we didn't know that she was doing it. And so when she left, all that stuff stopped happening (laughs) and we did not know what was happening. Like there were like reports that were should have been run and like all these things that I guess other managers had been having their, their underlings do for them, but she hadn't been. And like, we just didn't do it. And so our, the new manager was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, why aren't you guys doing what you're supposed to be doing? And we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like we're doing what we've always been doing. And so then they were like convinced that we weren't doing our jobs and shit. Um, and I think they were downsizing anyway, because they were about to get bought by Aon. So they just like, uh, they were going to fire both of us, but they got me first and she managed to move to a different department while I got fired. So, uh, they let me go. And then I, didn't that was when I moved home or whatever uh was on unemployment and then I got another job in I tried to switch careers like I didn't really necessarily want to work in HR but that's just like where my experience was and I like the part of HR where you like help people you know and like do you know like do the the stuff where you're like helping people with their benefits I liked that um so I kept getting HR jobs basically and uh I worked at this other place for a bunch of years and then I left and tried something new where I would be, it was a really small company 
and uh, they had like 11 employees. It was like a family run company. That was the biggest mistake I ever made. I moved to this company because it was a little closer than my other one. And I was like, oh, it should be okay. You know, like it's small. They treat each other like family, uh, treat each other like a horrible dysfunctional family that hates each other and (laughs) (laughs) are super weird and, and have no boundaries at all. So, uh, yeah, it did not work out. Safe to say they fired me and I was working Uber on the side at the time. And I was literally just having like a nervous breakdown over not being able to, uh, you know, not knowing what I was going to do with myself and not really wanting to get another office job like I had before. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. There are people who are doing Uber full time and they seem to be doing well. My, my good friend, Eli, one included. And he's like, you could totally do this. He's like, just do it. And, you know, just take a break from what you've been doing. Cause obviously you're not happy anyway. And I was like, fine, I will. And so I just started doing Uber full, full time and I worked into it. You know, at first I didn't really know you know, I didn't know downtown very well. So I was really nervous to go downtown. Um, you know, it was a bit of a learning curve until I learned all the streets and everything. But once you do, it's like, I don't know, it's not easy for everyone, but it just became really easy for me. And like, you have to be strategic. You have to like, know, you know, you have to know when things are. So like, I feel very connected. Like I felt very disconnected when I worked in an office. I didn't ever know what was happening. I never got to go anywhere. I never got to see anything. I like Uber because you know, you know when events are, you are all over the city, you see things happening, you talk to a lot of different people. It's like, it's just so much more engaging on so many levels than just working in a fucking office. Um, And so I just totally like loved it. And then organizing basically just happened because we were so pissed off that, you know, I was doing, when I first started driving, you could make a lot of money. You could make like 200 bucks in the morning pretty easily. You know, you could easily have a $400 day uh, as the years go on and they take more and more incentives and pay away from drivers, you're lucky now if you can make a hundred bucks in a morning, you're lucky now if you have a $200 day, most people can't even get to 150. So like pay has gone way fucking down. And like, I kept changing with the times. I got different cars. I got, I got a fancier car so I could do better paying rides. I got, you know, private clients, you know, that I take to the airport and shit which you're not supposed to do, but whatever. So, you know, you got to pay the bill somehow. Right. And, uh, like, um, I just, you know, we became so frustrated with like, they can just do anything to us. You know, we could log in tomorrow and they could be like, Hey, guess what? You're making half of what you made yesterday and nobody can do a fucking thing about it and nobody cares. And so that's when we were just like, you know what, this is, this is it. We need to do something about this. We need to get some legislation in place. We need to do something. And so that's how we started organizing. It was literally just about like, stop taking my money basically. But then as time went on and the more drivers you talk to and the more organizers you talk to and you get a better sense of what the whole battle really is, that's when the tone started changing from like, I'm just doing this because it's better for me to like, there's actually a higher purpose here. Like there's a reason that we need to do this because this is, um, you know, these types of companies, it's not just Uber and Lyft. There's a lot of companies like this and the number of them is growing and the number of people who are underemployed in the gig economy is growing. And they're trying to tell us that unemployment is down. It's not, unemployment isn't fucking down. We're all just working in the gig economy. They're just people like me who stopped looking for regular jobs and started doing shit jobs that don't pay them enough, you know, and don't consider them employees. That's why you think unemployment is down. Because all these people have just left the job market, (laughs) you know? So, yeah, because the, because, yeah, because the gig economy is 
really not, it's like so purely capitalist and libertarian. Like there's almost no real regulation. Yeah. Um, it's starting to change, but the, the regulation has been um, left mostly up to municipalities, right? Like different, mm -hmm. which is a weird thing. Like when I was doing Uber years ago, it'd be like, you know, every city had, it was hard to move around because every city had different rules. Yeah, it's exactly how it is. And also the company does not, like the company takes no responsibility for us. You know, they know the rules are different in some places. They know that some places have it outlawed. Do they fucking tell us? No, they do not fucking tell us. They just let drivers get out there and figure it out for themselves. And it's like, that's fucking shitty, man. Like there's a town in Illinois that does not allow any pickups from Uber and the police were actually setting up stings. Like they would order a fucking Uber. The poor Uber driver would show up to pick the person up and get a goddamn three hundred dollar ticket. Like, and oh my god. Yeah, I mean it happened a lot for a while. We were hearing about it a lot. Um, I haven't heard about it recently. Maybe they changed their city ordinance or something. But like, yeah, it goes it goes by area. And so, you know, big cities are a lot of them came up with legislation pretty quickly. But Chicago was an outlier in that sense because uh, Rahm Emanuel was the fucking mayor. And his brother was heavily invested in Uber since day one. So they made a point not to regulate it. And uh, the taxi unions were begging them from, you know, from the very beginning, this is going to destroy our fucking business. Um, they didn't care. They hung the taxis out to dry. There's less than half of the taxis that were operating in 2016 are operating now. Um, so wow. they've, they've been completely decimated. Um, and... Uh, you know, if you think about it, the taxis were capped at 7,000, um, so they couldn't have more than 7,000 taxis. There are now 120,000 registered rideshare drivers in the city. I was going to say, but there's no driver cap on, on yeah, Uber. Yeah, there's so. no driver cap at all, and they're still hiring. So, I mean, it's mind -boggling. It ends up being like a like an invasive um, yeah, species exactly. almost. Yeah, We're know? like the kudzu of like the transportation industry. So, yeah, it's really bad. So, um you know, we were already having a hard, a lot of people were already having a hard time making ends meet and, you know, making enough to pay their bills before this. Now it's just laughable. I mean, the, in the summer, the only way you make any money is by working events because there's no morning, there's no, really no morning rush. The kids aren't in school. So it's just not busy like it usually is. Um, so you have to make your money, you know, working events. Well, there are no fucking events and there won't be any fucking events. So there's, it's just not possible. So it's really good that they gave us unemployment. I mean, that was huge. To be fair, though, we were already eligible for unemployment. Um, the extra six hundred dollars was was really the big the big game changer. Um, but it's it's really shocking because pretty much everybody who's getting that unemployment now is making more money than they were actually making at their job, which says a lot about fucking wages right now. <laughs> like mm -hmm. <laughs> people are like, it's not fair. Unemployment shouldn't pay you more. Yeah, it's not fair. Tell these motherfucking companies to pay these people more. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like you know, uh, first of all, we've made a really solid case for a universal basic income, but that's yeah. another debate. Yeah. And also, <laughs> right, it's like, exactly. It's like when people work, you know, oh, the $15 minimum wage thing, they're like, well, paramedics only make $15 an hour. And my question to that would be, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> why is that? What, what reasoning is behind this? Yeah, no, it's, it's fucking nonsense. And I think a lot of people are, I mean, the cracks in the system are being exacerbated and revealed due to this crisis. And I really think it's going to give us a good push towards what we want. But, 
you know, that's why, you know, as frustrating as it is, I'm just working as hard as possible to, you know, get as much done during this time. We're meeting with a lot of legislators, you know, we're pleading our case, you know, we're talking, you know, sh telling our stories, finding drivers to share their stories, you know, of, of what's happening to them. I mean, drivers are losing, you know, people are being evicted, you know, they can't pay their fucking bills. People can't apply for unemployment because the unemployment system was so fucked you couldn't, you still can't even get through. I mean, you cannot call unemployment. It's not possible. You just call and it just hangs up on you. So you have to file a claim online. And even though these morons had us uh, literally approved in their own system since 2017 to get unemployment, did they bother to update the system so that rideshare drivers could apply in a seamless process? No, they did not. So now in order to apply, you have to fax your wage information in. They only just put the option to upload documents in. Like they could have done this years work worth ago. The shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's fucking bananas. And so they're like, oh, we can't handle it. Well, guess what? That sounds like a you problem and not a me problem. You fucking knew that we were eligible. Why didn't you update your goddamn system to reflect that? No, that's a problem with um, Washington, too, is that, um, like, okay, so for my current employer, um, usually temporary federal workers would not be eligible for unemployment benefits because the federal government doesn't pay into unemployment benefits. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. Whatever right? They make an exception. Uh, they've made an exception for this, right? If you're laid off due to COVID, even if you're a federal employee, a temporary federal employee, you can still qualify, but um, there's no mechanism for that in the system. So what you have to do is apply and then appeal and go through the appeal process, which is already really lengthy, mm -hmm. um, but also, but given how backed up the system is, it's, you know, quadruply lengthy. Um, yeah. And that seems like the kind of problem that they would have with the rideshare drivers. It's like, you can get approved, but you can't get approved. You have to get approved by an actual arbitrator. Yeah. Somebody um, has to look at your account and physically apply your wage information to your account because Uber and Lyft do not um, provide it to unemployment. So they need, a, they need a fucking person to look at every single claim. And they don't have enough employees. They don't have the resources. They don't have... Uh, and then also they had people not working in the office. A lot of people couldn't work from home. I guess they didn't have the resources for that. Like their system is so mm -hmm. antiquated. They just, there's no way they were going to be able to keep up. And it's like, yeah, I get that you didn't know this was going to happen, but like, it's literally your job to make sure that people can apply for unemployment. So why don't you do that? <laughs> right. What's yeah, that? it's crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, <sighs> There's, there's a lot to dissect with the unemployment thing, like the way that certain states have uh, legislated and built their systems to make it more hard to get and stay on, mm -hmm. and the fact that they're all using, um, I think there's like 12 states, I can't remember exactly how many, who are still using COBOL, and COBOL is supposedly like a perfectly fine coding language, but nobody knows how to write it anymore. <laughs> so, because it's from the 60s. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, They're like, calling to... people out of retirement to please come help us. <laughs> no, they actually are. There was, a, <laughs> there was a company, I think it's in Texas, called the Cobol Cowboys, and it's a whole bunch of, it's like fucking Ocean's, you know, 13 or whatever. It's like a bunch of retired old <laughs> software engineers who are like, Guys, getting the gang back together. It's like, oh my god, it's amazing. That's so funny. Uh, and you know, so in, uh, you know, it, this is another less tangible. It's like it's not bridges collapsing in on itself, like in Atlanta, but it's a it's a very 
important way in which our infrastructure has been sorely neglected in this country over like the mm -hmm. last 50 years. Yep, absolutely. But yeah, so no. we have a lot of, I mean, people are starting to get paid now. Supposedly as of Monday, they have the new system up that's supposed to actually be set up for us to be easy. Um, that doesn't do the rest of us any good who applied back in March. And I only just got approved. I got paid my two weeks of unemployment from March, <laughs> like last week. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, Oh my you know, God. Yeah. So luckily, I mean, if it wasn't for this job, I wouldn't have been able to pay my bills. I had no way, I had no money coming in. There was no way for me to pay. So, you know, luckily that came through for me, but that's not the case for most people. A lot of people were just fucked and had to dip into savings or borrow money or beg forgiveness. And it's just like, Oh, this is a disaster. This was a disaster waiting to happen. Look at all these people with no fucking safety net, you know, and it only works if it works. Actually, Airbnb hosts are really fucked too. I mean, especially the ones, I mean, to be fair, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who have like more than 50 Airbnb properties because you can't possibly be managing them well. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm really, I'm really enjoying a lot of uh, schadenfreude for people abusing yeah. Airbnb. Yeah, exactly. The Airbnb, but, dick -wise, you know, the but people who are using it just to to make ends meet. I feel I feel bad for her. There's a lot of genuine people who are just like renting out the other half of their duplex or whatever, and it's like, yeah, to like to like pay their bills, and mm -hmm. that's like fucking shitty, and it sucks. But yeah, like people who bought all these extra properties, like, and have no earnings coming in whatsoever, they're gonna all lose that property. Everybody, it's like this this entire industry, the share share economy it was just poised for a disaster like this to just take everyone down, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, it's because we didn't build any infrastructure mm -hmm. around it. Yep, exactly. And so people are starting to understand like, Oh yeah, that's what happens when you don't, <laughs> when you don't require any sort of uh, safety net for a huge pro population of workers or when you deny a huge population of workers, basic protections. Um, this is what fucking happens is your state or your country has to cough up the money to save them when something like this happens. So maybe in the future, let's try to, uh, you know, circumvent that by actually requiring, uh, the infrastructure to be paid into like it's supposed to be. So that's what I'm hoping. And we have like, we like petitioned Kwame Raul in Illinois. Uh, he's like the state's attorney or whatever to, um, to sue Uber and Lyft for back unemployment. Uh, like they did in New Jersey, they they sued for like three hundred and fifty million dollars or some shit, or maybe yeah. it was eighty-seven million. It was a lot of money. Um, yeah, for back unemployment, and that's what they should do here too. Because why should Illinois be on the? Why should Illinois be paying any unemployment? These companies are getting bailouts on the front end and the back end. They're getting straight up money from the government to bail them out, and they're getting money for misclassifying and taking no responsibility for their fucking workforce and making other people pay for it. Why, why are all their drivers on fucking Medicaid? Because we don't make enough money to pay for health insurance and they fucking know it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good soapbox. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can do this all day. Yeah. Um, and you know, for me, <laughs> you literally not, do do it all day. I, I literally did. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's not like, I don't, I could, you know, I could go back to an office job. I'm not the type, I'm not, I don't have to do Uber and Lyft, but there's a lot of fucking people that don't have a choice. My friends, you know, my good friend, Eli, who also, uh, you know, he was the one who got me into driving. He's the one who basically got me into Chicago rideshare advocates. He's one of the co-founders. I'm a founding member. So like I've been there since day one, but it was him and two other people that it really started it. And like, 
He's got cystic fibrosis. He's got fucking diabetes. He can't have a fucking nine to five job. He just cannot. And to say that people who are like him and can't work a normal job don't deserve to have any protections and don't deserve to have anything just because they have a flexible schedule is fucking ridiculous. You know? Yeah. And also like the other way for him to go, there are two other ways that he can go or that a lot of disabled people can go, uh, which is either they can become a burden of the system. Right. Mm -hmm. And go through the rigmarole to get on disability and social security, or I don't know, I guess just die. You know, yeah, like, right. Just make it easy like on everybody, people, right? You're talking about people who like how are are trying to contribute to any productive members of society, right? I mean, so provide them the resources to do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly, and that and that's why you know rideshare is great in many ways because it gave a lot of people the chance to earn money when they wouldn't normally be able to, and so that you know, that makes it a great opportunity and it makes it a great asset to a lot of people, but it has to have, you can't just throw people out there, let them do this as their job and just then be like, well, fuck you. If you know something, if anything happens, you're on your own, you're in the, you're in the wind, you know, it's, you just can't do that. Especially if you look at the projection of how many people are going to be working in the gig economy within the next five years, I think they said it's going to be more than half the workforce, more than half of the workforce. It's insane. It's insane that more than more than half the workforce has absolutely no protections as workers. Like that's just fucking crazy. It's like 1890s factory uh, child's working in factory bullshit. Like it makes no fucking sense. This is the future that the GOP wants. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is and it's disgusting. I don't know how you could I don't know how you could want this for for society. Like how, you know, how you think this is going to work and especially, you know, so in a way it's kind of not good that we're having this crisis, but in a way it, it's very eye-opening. And I think, uh, and I really hope, I truly hope that people, you know, see this for what it is, which is uh, a chance for us to rectify a huge problem that is looming and would only get worse with time if we don't do something about it now. The dog is like, you fucking asshole. You've been on the phone for so long. <laughs> I am not going to play with enough i know she's been hitting me straight up for like an hour just like hitting me with her paw because i'm not looking directly at her yeah she's gonna lose her fucking mind when i start leaving this house again aren't you my dog baby is very needy i never thought i would call myself a dog mom but i but i do (laughs) oh my god you're that lady now I'm, this is my dog baby. I always have wanted to wrap her up though, like a baby and carry her around. And then when somebody leans over to look at the baby, it's a dog. (laughs) What you need is like a really antique black, like Rosemary's baby style bassin, like rolling bassinet for that. (laughs) And you can go out in like a plague doctor mask. (laughs) This is the time. Like if there's ever a time to do it, this is the time to do it. Oh God. I go, are you going to help me realize my dreams? Or are you just going to hit me a lot? I don't know what you want. She wants to, like, crawl inside my mouth. I don't understand why. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, hanging out. It was nice, yeah. to, nice to get to good hang talking. out Good talking. Let's do it again. Let's, uh, let's, let's chat. It's good to stay connected to people. It's a very isolating time. Yeah, it is. I, it's, I really... I, when I think about it, I'm like, okay, well, if I don't get to Chicago 
in the spring because of COVID, that means I probably won't be there until maybe next spring because um, I don't go there in the summer or winter, right? Because it's the mm-hmm. fucking worst. Um, but the, this is this is the balance that I'm having to make with like all my regular locations, right? I'm like, same with like New Orleans. Well, New Orleans and New York, I'm kind of like, I don't know when I'll be able to go back to those at all because mm-hmm. they're disease vectors. But I'm like, well, okay, if I don't get to New York by you know, X date, it's going to be another year before I can go out there and see people because I don't fuck with January or I don't, you know. (laughs) I don't fuck with January. do not. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to see literally anybody who's not related to me ever again. And my poor, my poor therapist is so put upon. (laughs) I already, (laughs) I already see him twice a week, but he's the only non-relative that I commute, like face-to-face communicate with in any with any regularity, so I, you know. Wow. I have not spoken to a therapist in a long time, but I have considered it. I'm like, I feel like I'm okay, but I'm sure there are things that I probably (laughs) should speak to a therapist about, maybe. I don't know. This is my, like, rehab year, basically. I'm, like, uh, saving money. I'm fucking updating a lot of my equipment and gear and stuff i'm like working on the podcast uh going to therapy and trying to get some books out like i'm i'm just i'm like doing yoga you know like the whole thing i'm just That's like dope. i'm gonna come out of this you know year of of being back in washington hopefully with like a decent savings account my debt paid down down you know 20 or 30 pounds and in good mental health and uh i don't know then go back out and ruin it again <laughs> it's like where this whole country is having a long dark night of the soul and it's time to just stay home and reflect on <laughs> what we've done wrong and how we're going to fix it really is what it's about yeah and then hopefully come out uh, again in november and make actual changes <laughs> i can only fucking hope i do have to say though like the way that things have turned out for me with with organizing, it really kind of feels like kismet, you know, like I didn't expect this to be the thing that I was doing, but like now that I'm doing it, it seems like, like, oh, this is what I should have been doing probably, you know, it's work that I actually care about and don't think is pointless. So I'm willing to work hard at it, which was not necessarily true of my other jobs. (laughs) Uh, So I guess in that way, this is a good year for me, but in yeah. every possible way, it's not. <laughs> well, and it's like, you know, this is, I mean, you and I were talking about this last time I was there when you were, you spent a long time kind of like keeping day jobs and procrastinating getting into like stand up or comedy writing and stuff because that's a good like creative outlet for you and something you're inherently good at, but then you just for whatever reason could not get your dick up to do it. Yeah. And then when you transitioned into this, it was like, oh, not only do I get to be rambunctious and boisterous and, and the, the firebrand of, of that my personality is inherently, but it's also like you have to think on your feet and implement really creative decision making and, and um, problem solving. Like it's got, you get to talk to people all the time. Like it has all of those functions that you were yeah. looking for in an extracurricular outlet absolutely you care about and make money at absolutely it is amazing and as as far as companies to work for working for people's lobby i mean 
Like we've had frank discussions about our past drug problems, like with me and my boss, you know? So it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry that they're going to find out something about me that's going to make them not want me. You know what I mean? So that's very freeing as well. Like I can just honestly just be myself and just do what I do. And you know, it's, it's a much better feeling than feeling like I'm hiding half of my personality, you know, for most of my day. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Which was really hard for me to do. And I was bad at it also. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to let you, uh, get, give your dog the attention that she is demanding. And uh, (laughs) I will talk to you I'm sure my boyfriend is downstairs making very similar faces. (laughs) Probably. This episode of Blair Slept There was produced by me, Blair Hopkins, with music by Lola Johnson. There aren't photos from today's episode, but you can visit BlairSleptThere.com and check out photos from previous episodes. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram as at BlairSleptThere. While you're there, hit me up and let me know that you are staying safe and healthy. Tell me stories about what you're doing in quarantine. Let me know how things are going. And if you get a chance please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this show on whatever podcast platform you employ. 